So, John, John tells us um, about still right. Right. So, um, John tells us about a guy named Thomas, and he says he's called Didymus. But I don't think any of us have ever referred to him by that name. There's another name we know him by. What what name is that? Anyone want to take a guess? Doubting, Doubting Thomas. He's called Doubting Thomas. So, so. Um, I want to talk about Thomas today because, you know, he has this reputation that has gone for 2,000 years, if you don't live in India at least, um, as the guy who was the doubter, the one who, who didn't believe and, and required extra evidence to believe. And so he is, he's kind of considered, well, you know, maybe he's on a second tier of disciple, but actually I would say he's, he's the hero of the story. He can't really be the hero because Jesus, you know, Jesus is in the story and if Jesus is in the story, you know, I'm a preacher, so I'm going to tell you right up front, Jesus is the hero. But among the disciples, at least, I would say Thomas is actually the the hero of this story. And that's that's what I'm going to try and uh, persuade you of today. Um, and so if you are uh, not a believer, if you're, if you're a skeptic, if you're not sure what you believe, um, if you are kind of where Thomas is at, then I invite you to really lean in and pay attention because I think you'll you'll uh, get something particular for you out of today's talk. But um, if you're a Christian, there's something for you too. So um, so this is a great story for skeptics and for Christians alike. So I want to just go right into it. So Thomas one called Didymus. Okay, so um, it was still the first day of the week. So uh, that evening, so we're going to, so it was Easter. It was still Easter, so a week ago. And uh, it's now evening. So the women went out to the tomb in the morning and uh, then um, uh, evening has come. So that's that's the setting we're at now. And um, he says, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. That makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't they be afraid? Their their friend, their, their leader, had been um, arrested by a mob Thursday night. And it was probably a pretty terrifying mob because instead of saying, let's stay and fight, they all fled. They fled into the darkness. Um, one of them left his clothes behind. They grabbed him and off he goes. So so his disciples vanished. They disappeared completely when Jesus was arrested. And uh, they they were, you know, they, they didn't do anything to support Jesus. So they saw the mob. They saw what the mob did because what the mob did then is they took Jesus to, back to the authorities and the authorities had a little trial and then what they decided to do is not simply punish him on their own. There were certain punishments that they had the authority to to deal out, but they decided those weren't bad enough. They wanted to get the, the Romans involved because the Romans could kill Jesus. And so what they did is they said, this guy is an insurrectionist. Okay, This guy is a J6 style insurrectionist. And that was the magic word for Rome. You said somebody was an insurrectionist and Depending on their status, they would be either killed or crucified. They'd be executed in some more humane way, or they would be crucified, depending on what the particular uh, status was. Jesus is is a subject in an occupied country. He has zero status. So, of course, he went to the cross. So they are now huddled in this room, hoping that the mob is not out there still looking for friends of Jesus. They're thinking, I could very easily be uh, on this on this watch list, right? If if the Romans think there's a there's an insurrection going on, they will get to the bottom of it. So um, I don't want to be found out. So that's where they're at. They are in this room, and um, they're behind closed doors because they're afraid 
of the Jewish authorities. But that's bad enough, but it's actually worse than that because there's reasons to believe, you know, if you put yourself in the position of the disciples, there's reason to believe that some of the group are starting to crack up, right? It's too much strain. They, they weren't expecting this. They just saw their friend, you know, for three years, their friend was their leader and their teacher, and he did things that were amazing, and now he's dead. And so there, that's, that's one strain. But the other strain is that, is that they, they have the fear that everybody else has. So, um, this morning, some of the women went out to the tomb and they said Jesus was still alive. So clearly, you know, not quite right in the head. And, you know, you can, you can, well, come on, they're women, right? Of course, you know, they're, they're hysterical, right? Right? So of course you wouldn't trust them. But then some of the leaders of the group, Peter and John, went out to the tomb too. And they came back and they said equally crazy things. They said Jesus was alive. So you're afraid of the mob out there. And then on top of that, some of the people you look to for guidance, Peter and John and the women, uh, they're starting to crack up under the strain. So it is a hard evening. And that is, that is the place we are at when John tells us Jesus came and stood among them. Oops. <laughs> it turns out the women weren't lying <laughs> or crazy. It turns out Peter and John were telling the truth when they came back from the tomb. Oops. But Jesus doesn't recriminate. Jesus doesn't blame them. He doesn't say, what kind of person are you not to believe Peter and John, my two most trusted disciples? Who are you not to believe these women? They they got the, the, the first opportunity to see me because of their loyal devotion. Why don't you be a better disciple? Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, hey, where were you Thursday night when the mob came for me? What happened to you? How come you weren't arrested too? Jesus doesn't say that either. What does Jesus say? He says, peace. Peace be with you. He says, shalom. He says, may you have health and well-being. Have shalom. Jesus says, he, he doesn't even forgive them. He's already moved past forgiveness. It's not even mentioned. It's like, you're still my friends. Peace to you. And then after this, he shows them his hands and side. So it's really me. You can you can believe I'm really that person. And the disciples saw the Lord and they were filled with joy. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. Jesus said, Peace be with you. Not just before they saw who he was, but after. And then he says something that they would have had a lot of trouble accepting. Because he says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. I'm sending you out to what's on the other side of those doors. To the trouble, to the chaos, to the fury of a mob. Whatever is on the other side, I'm sending you the same way the Father sent me. And I think we can understand why they might have had trouble accepting that. I mean, have you ever had anything that you just kind of thought maybe the best thing to do would just be to kind of hunker down and hope it blows over, to kind of curl up in a ball, let life kick me, but not to try and face it, not to try and fight back, but just to make myself small and hope nobody notices. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, 
you know, it's a crazy time. Everybody could say that throughout history. It's a crazy time. There's nothing unique about our time. But we have specific things that, that have made life really difficult for a lot of us. I mean, there was the pandemic. There is still the, the lingering um, responses, you know, all, all the effects of the, the different responses to the pandemic. There There is the political division in the country. You know, some of you chuckled when I mentioned insurrections um, because there's that. There's there's Trump and his legacy. There's the, the J6, um, whatever word you choose to call it. I know there's debate over that, but uh, January 6th, there's all the political division in our society. There's, there's from the other side. There's complaints about uh, gender issues and CRT and ESG and some of these other three-letter letters, three-letter acronyms. And then there's the economy. There's the economy. The the Federal Reserve is trying to engineer a soft landing, and the reason for that is because prices have been going up, and what they're trying to do is make the prices stop going up without putting a halt to economic growth. They don't want to start a recession. So good luck to them. I mean, you know, you try turning around a boat that has got $20 trillion worth of economy in it. So, you know, good luck to you. I mean, really, I, I wish I wish Jerome Powell and the rest of the Federal Reserve governors, I wish them all the luck in the world because it's a hard problem they're facing. How can they engineer a soft landing in the current circumstances? So there's lots of problems out there. And then, of course, we've got things like trains blowing up, uh, trains being derailed and cows blowing up. So... What causes a dairy farm to blow up? I mean, I'm not, I'm not a dairy farmer, so I'm thinking, what, what would cause that to happen? There's mass shootings. There's a lot of trouble out there in the world. And that is just the backdrop for all of our own troubles. You know, we have problems too. You know, I have problems. And I'm sure you have problems too. If I listened to your story, I'd probably be amazed that you're getting through it. There's a lot of chaos in the world. There's a lot of trouble in our lives. And I think we can easily understand why the disciples are saying, look, the festival will be over in a week. We'll slink out of town, go back to Galilee. And, you know, I'm never coming back to Jerusalem because someone might remember I was here. So I'll just hang out in Galilee as soon as the festival's over. And in the meantime, I'm going to hide behind that locked door. I think we can understand why it's just too much. We've had too much pressure and Jesus says, yeah, but I'm sending you out there. So what does he mean when Jesus says send? What does he mean by sending you? I mean, obviously, he's talking about the people on the other side of the door. But what does he want them to do? Well, if we go back and look in John's biography, we see Jesus talks about this. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but did send his son into the world so that the world might be saved through him. Jesus says, that's what I want you to do. I want you to be part of my mission. I want you to take over from here, and I'll be somewhere else. I'll be upstairs watching things unfold and guiding people along the way. Jesus says, that's what I want you to do. I don't want you to hunker down in the room. I want you to go out and face the trouble. That's why I've given you my peace. Because you'll need it. It's it's chaos out there. It's trouble. There's lots of reasons to be afraid, but I don't want you to be afraid. So I'm giving you my peace. So the next thing Jesus says, the next two verses 
have a rich and intricate history of uh, interpretation. I read enough of it today to say, I'm just going to jump right over that. So, so very briefly, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. So both of those have caused all kinds of controversies in the church, and there's different theories about exactly what Jesus is saying. So when he says, receive the Holy Spirit, people say, well, wait a minute, what about Pentecost? Pentecost is still 50 days away. What's going on with that? And, you know, is this some other Holy, you know, what, what, what does he mean by Holy Spirit? So people have debated that. The, the answer, I saw at least four different theories what's going on here, but the one that I found most persuasive is the idea that this is some kind of a down payment on the Holy Spirit that they will receive, um, at Pentecost. And, uh, that's not to demean the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul in one of his letters says, God also sealed us and gave the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. So this idea that, that a down payment of what God will do in the future, that's, that is exactly the kind of thing the Holy Spirit can do. So it's not surprising to me that he might do that now as they wait until Pentecost for the general outpouring. So maybe that's what it's meant. All right. If you, if you're interested in any of these things, I can direct you to some resources, but, uh, it's not where I want to spend today. So, uh, then he breathed on them and he said, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. And again, this is a place where, well, well, what? You've got to go to your, your preacher. You've got to go to your priest. You've got to go to an archbishop. You know, you've got to go to the Pope. Who, who is this they, um, uh, who is it that they go to to get that forgiveness? So people have debated that as well. And, um, the, the answer that seems obvious to me of, of the different theories that I looked at is that He's talking about he, this is this is John writing this, and the way John sees uh, forgiveness and and uh, repentance is that they're tied in with belief. So that verse we just looked at, God so loved the world, so that anyone who believes in Him won't perish, but have eternal life. So I think what Jesus is saying that if you go out and do what I told you to do, if you go out and and be like me, send you know, if I send you out into the world and you you tell the people about me, then it's up to them. Right? They're, they're judged already. Jesus says elsewhere that, G, that we're already judged. And it's up to us to, to accept that He is able to save us. And, and if, if we do, then, then we get off on, on, on all charges. But if, if we don't, we've already been condemned. So Jesus says that. And I think that that's what He's getting at here. He's saying, it's up to you to give them the story so they know. Essentially, everybody is already drowning. And your job is to throw them a life preserver, Jesus. And if they take it, that's fine. If they say, I don't know, I don't believe in life preservers, that's their problem. So I think that's what Jesus is saying when he says, um, uh, you may be, um, that they'll be forgiven or not. So I want to, I, I know that I'm kind of sketching through that, but, and, and they're big topics, but I want to go back to Thomas. I want to stay focused on Thomas, I should say. So Thomas, finally we introduce Thomas. He, um, Thomas called Didymus wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. And the other disciples went to him. And they told him, we've seen the Lord. I don't know, maybe they're trying this out. Jesus said, I'm sending you out to tell people. And maybe they're thinking, okay, well, let's tell Thomas. He wasn't here. So they tell Thomas, and it doesn't go well, because Thomas doesn't believe. Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, put my hand in his side, I won't believe. And so... They strike out the the first the first at bat and they strike out. So then eight days go or seven days go by. It's the eighth day now. So it's next Sunday. It's today. 
It's a week after Easter. And after eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and this time Thomas is with them, even though the doors were locked. And that's the funny thing. The doors were locked. Why are the doors locked? Jesus sent them out. They were persuaded. We've seen the Lord. But they're in the house and the doors are locked. Why is that? See, I think that they believed, but but not completely. They believed a lot. They believed plenty. But they didn't believe everything. They didn't believe Jesus meant it when he said, No, I've given you my peace. Go out, face the trouble. Face the trouble out there because you have my peace. And I don't think that they believed that. So they're in the room and the doors are locked again. And just like before, Jesus entered. Doesn't say how, doesn't say, you know, he passed through the walls or just popped into, you know, we don't know how Jesus got there. But Jesus entered and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Then he talks to Thomas. He says, put your finger here, look at my hands, look at your hand in my side, no more disbelief, believe. So he says, do the things that you want. Touch me. You know, touch my wounds. Do whatever you, you need to persuade yourself, but believe. And Thomas ends up not doing any of those things. Thomas doesn't need to put his finger in the wounds. He simply says, my Lord and my God. He's persuaded. And Jesus says, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see the people on the other side of that door, right? They're not going to see me. You know, people today aren't going to see Jesus, right? I wouldn't recognize Jesus if he was in a police lineup. How would I know, right? So the the ability of people to, to see Jesus and be persuaded by his physical appearance is coming to a close very quickly. So he says, but what about the others? What about the people outside the room? What about the people in India or Africa or North America? Places that no Christian has ever been. Blessed are them. It's going to be hard for them to believe because all they will have is your testimony. And I think here the disciples finally get it. In fact, uh, just two verses later, at the end of uh, John's closing out his his uh, gospel, and at the end of chapter twenty, he says this. He says, "These things are written so you will believe." that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. John says, I'm trying to do what Jesus sent me out to do. And one of the ways I'm doing that is by writing it all down and telling you telling you the parts that I believe will help you believe. So I'm going to give you my testimony. He's doing what Jesus told him to do. But what if? What if, what if Thomas hadn't been unbelieving. What if Thomas just said, sure, whatever, and didn't hang out with the disciples? He stayed wherever he was. If he wasn't there that night, what if what if Thomas wasn't there the second evening? What would have happened? Would the disciples still be hiding behind that door? You know, when were they planning to leave? When were they planning to go out and do the thing Jesus sent them to do? And I think it was when Jesus came to persuade Thomas, I think part of what he was doing was to persuade not just Thomas, but to but to finish persuading the other disciples. 
So, what if Jesus hadn't been there? I don't know. I don't know. But what Jesus taught them, and what John learned, and the other disciples as well, Thomas, as we heard with the children, what they learned is that peace doesn't come from hunkering down behind a door, shaking in terror because you're afraid they might find out what room you're in. That's not where peace comes from. Peace comes from Jesus. And walking out into the chaos, into the trouble of the world, equipped with his peace. So that is that is the big lesson, that the place we can find peace is not by shutting out the trouble of the world, but by receiving it from Jesus and then living in it. But I want to talk to the skeptics. I said that this has a particular resonance, I think, for skeptics, people who are like Thomas. And what I would encourage you to do, if, you, if you're not sure what you believe about Jesus or the church or Christians or anything else, if you're not sure, if you've got doubts, if you're skeptical, I would encourage you to be like Thomas, to say, okay, here's what would persuade me. Carl Sagan, the astronomer, famously said that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So... Say, okay, here's the extraordinary evidence that would persuade me. I need to see this. And it, I think it's pretty clear here. Jesus is saying, you're not going to get a personal appearance. And besides, you don't speak Aramaic, so what could I tell you? Right? So, so Jesus is, is ruling that out, and it makes sense because none of us know Jesus. Be, but be like Thomas. Say, here's what would persuade me. Okay? This, this would actually persuade me that Jesus, um, was raised, uh, from the dead, and that he is now ruling the world. Here's what, here's what I need. And, and then look for it. Look for that evidence. See if it's out there. Don't try to gin up some kind of a, a, a belief in your, you know, in, just by, you know, making a fist and, you know, scrunching down and trying to really manufacture belief. But say, here's what would persuade me. And then look to see if that evidence is out there. And, you know, you can ask God, show me this thing. That's essentially what Thomas is doing. Show me that thing. Persuade me. And then, most importantly of all, if you get that evidence, if you don't get that evidence, just keep looking. But if you don't, I mean, if you do, if you do receive that evidence, don't move the goalpost, right? Because that's what, that's what's the easiest thing to do then to say, well, okay, well, I said this evidence would persuade me, and sure enough, that happened, and it was pretty weird, and I can't explain it, but I need, some more evidence now. So don't move the goalposts. Accept the evidence you get. And then and then be like Thomas and go out into the chaos, living in a crazy, in a, in a chaotic world, equipped with the peace of Jesus. That is our calling as Christians, is, is to be beacons of peace in a world that is Overwhelming in a world that is chaotic and violent and filled with trouble. And if we do that, if we do that, if we go out through those doors, if we go out into the world and live as people of peace, people will want our testimony. They'll say, you know, you heard about the layoffs the same as me, but you're not afraid. You got the same diagnosis that my friend got. But you're not afraid. You have peace. How come? Why is that? You're dealing with the same financial trouble that I am. Why do you have peace? That's what we can do if we follow the instruction of Jesus. If we take his peace out of these closed rooms 
out into the world. We can be not just like Thomas here, but the Thomas who went to India, like the John who wrote the biography of John. We can be those people by taking our peace out into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we're not unique. Everybody in every land and every time has had problems to deal with, and it's understandable why we want to shut them out, to find some place of refuge, some hidey hole. But Jesus promises us his peace. And he urges us to go out and display it in the world. Help us to be faithful to this calling. In his holy name we pray. Amen.